Welcome to Brain Talk, a podcast about the latest thinking and research in neurology with a specific focus on epilepsy and other seizure-like disorders. Today's episode features Dr. Jeremy Slater, Chief Medical Officer at Stratus. Dr. Slater discusses syncope and ways to clinically identify a fainting spell from a seizure. Let's take a listen. Let's talk about syncope. Syncope is a fainting spell. Seizure, uh, seizure in general, can be associated with a relatively abrupt loss of consciousness. So is there a way, just clinically, to tell whether somebody's had an event, when they've had an event, including an abrupt loss of consciousness, was that a fainting spell, was that some type of seizure? So uh, people have come up with a variety of uh, clinical metrics. I'll describe one that's a uh, scoring system. I have a slide that describes this, but I'm going to have you paint the picture in your head. So here's a series of symptoms, and then there are associated points with it. Did they wake up with, where they bit their tongue? Well, if that happens, that's two points. Do they have a sense of deja vu or jamais vu? Now, deja vu, if you uh, vaguely recall, is where you walk into a situation, you go, oh, I feel like I've been here before. And they have that strong sense that this is something that you recognize. Jamais vu is when you walk into a familiar situation, someplace you've been a million times, and you go, gosh, it, it suddenly feels like I, I don't recognize this place at all. I've never been here before. That's worth a point. Is there emotional stress associated with the loss of consciousness? That's worth a point. Do outside witnesses see, was their head turning during the episode? In other words, well, the person's head turned to the right, then they lost consciousness. That's worth a point. Were they unresponsive, unusual posture occurring with the event, limb movements, amnesia for the spells? In other words, when they wake up afterwards and they go, and you go, what happened? And they go, what do you mean? And they have no recall of actually losing consciousness. That's worth a point. If after the event when they wake up, the average person who faints, if they fall down, a few seconds goes by, they open, they're completely alert and oriented, essentially immediately. Patients after a seizure will tend to have a more prolonged confusional state, so if they're confused after the event, that's worth a point. Now, on the flip side, if they're uh, complaining of being lightheaded before the spell starts, that's minus two points. If they were sweating before the spell, that's minus two points. And if the spells generally occur when they've been sitting for a prolonged period of time or upon standing or standing for a prolonged period of time, that's minus two points. And the way this questionnaire is scored is if the overall point score is greater than one, greater than or equal to one, the likelihood is they have seizures. And if it's less than one, the likelihood is a syncope or syncopal or feigning spell. And obviously, this is not absolute by any means. And in fact, you can even break this down. If somebody comes in with a transient level of consciousness, you've got two elements that you're going to do before you do any other testing. One is you'll get that history and physical, and you'll look for, on one hand, uh, symptoms like lightheadedness, sweating, prolonged standing, uh, triggers like uh, urinating before the event, um, accompanying chest pain, palpitations, a slowed heart rate, drop in blood pressure. 
all of those things in the history and physical exam will suggest that this was more likely a syncopal event. On the other hand, the stuff that I already mentioned, deja vu, jamais vu, if they have speech difficulties like aphasia, if they have an aura or a preceding symptom of some type of odd smell, a sensation in their stomach, what we would call an epigastric sensation, tongue biting, confusion after the event, or a focal neurologic deficit, so they've got numbness or weakness one side of their body or the other in the arms or legs. All of those things suggest that this is more likely a seizure. On the other side, you're not simply talking to the patient, you're also talking to witnesses. So if the witness tells you, well, you know, before the event, she looked really pale, she was sweating, pulse slowed down, we measured her blood pressure was really low, all of that points to this being a fainting spell or a syncopal episode. If again, the witness noticed that they were having speech difficulties, appeared confused, they had head turning, they had some type of uh, repetitive motor activity that we would refer to as automatism, if they got into the weird uh, body postures that are common prior to some epileptic seizures, or even had a generalized convulsion, and again, if they were confused afterwards, if, all of, if any of these things were witnessed uh, by uh, bystanders, so told you in a witness account, that makes it more likely to be seizures. There's also a, effectively a, a combined occurrence uh, that it's helpful to be aware of if they have, uh, they turn white, they're sweating, then they collapse, and when they're down, you see twitching of their arms or legs, or in some cases, even a full-blown convulsion. While that event certainly is a seizure, or can be, or myoclonic jerks, um, that isn't an epileptic seizure. That is a convulsive seizure, convulsive syncope. And basically, the idea is, you know, what happens when you have a syncopal episode most of the time is that for one reason or another your overall blood pressure drops and perfusion to your brain is reduced. And your brain absolutely needs uh, high blood flow, continuous uh, supply of oxygen, or within a matter of seconds it stops functioning. So I stand up real quickly, systemic resistance is low, the blood effectively isn't being uh, uh, pumped up to my brain, brain runs out of oxygen, I lose consciousness, I fall to the ground. Now I'm lying flat, a few seconds later, I'm awake and alert. Now let's say I do this, and unfortunately I have my, my buddies there, and they don't want me falling down and hitting the ground, so they're trying to be helpful, and they hold me up and make sure that I'm okay and I'm not going to fall. Well, my brain still isn't getting any blood and it starts to get cranky. So besides continuing to be unconscious, one of the first things that happens is you start seeing me twitch. And so an arm or leg will twitch, will have what are called myoclonic jerks in response to the brain being deprived of oxygen. Take it one step further, you continue that I can go on and have a full-blown generalized convulsion. Once you lie me down and the blood gets back, I'm fine then I'm okay. Blood gets back to my brain, there's no problem. That's convulsive syncope. Okay. All of that being said and done, there are going to be many situations where 
even after talking to the patient, talking to the eyewitness to get an eyewitness account, if there is one, in many cases there aren't, you may still not be sure. So when am I getting an EEG? If there's a syncopal episode, a fainting spell with unusual features or it's, it's unusual in duration, the average fainting spell lasts a few seconds. So if you've got something where they are unconscious or confused for a couple of minutes, that raises your level of suspicion that something unusual is going on. If there is a history that raises suspicion of seizures as a possibility, yeah, they started developing these feeding spells, but six months ago he had a significant head injury and he was unconscious in a, in a coma-like state for three days. Your index of suspicion that this might actually be seizures as opposed to something else, that increases. If there's a family history of epilepsy, uh, your suspicion that this might be, these might be epileptic events will, will be higher. And let's say the patient comes in and they're presenting with relatively classic fainting spells and you do that entire workup, it's completely negative. You have no idea what's triggering these events. That would raise the suspicion that there may be something that you're gonna find on an EEG which will help you make the diagnosis. So in all of those situations, it would be reasonable to obtain electroencephalography. And for the reasons that I've gone over in uh, the prior topics in the podcast, prolonged video EEG recording has a significant advantage over a routine EEG uh, to either rule out or rule in um, particular diagnoses. Well, let's talk about that one more time. What kind of EEG? Well, prolonged recording is a much better chance of picking up a rare interictal discharge than a routine recording, and particularly in the patients where you're worried about syncope versus seizure. There's any suspicion of a possible cardiac etiology. Performing concurrent mobile cardiac telemetry allows both these etiologies, seizures versus cardiovascular, to be assessed simultaneously. As the patient goes through one test, you rule out a much larger uh, set of possible uh, diagnoses. This podcast was brought to you by Stratus, the leading provider of ambulatory in-home video EEG testing. For more information about Stratus, please visit our website at www.stratusneuro.com.